Amen, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, good to see all of you guys here. Bright and sunshiny faces on a Sunday morning, 10 a.m. service. Good to see all of you. Welcome. Uh, My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here and very thankful. If you're here with us for the first time, just want to say a warm thank you and for coming and a welcome to you. And uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 14, continuing our sermon series, The Return of Christ and the Life to Come. Okay, so as you are turning there, um, I just want to say my, my dress has come under some, some level of criticism this morning. Um, so I, I am coming to you as a different preacher than I entered this building. Um, I entered this building with my shirt tucked and my sleeves were long. And I endured such persecution for the name of Jesus. People were like, Pastor, what are you doing? Your shirt's tucked in? And I got called names, people. I got called names. And so now you can see I'm back to my natural self, untucked and sleeves up, and uh, here we go, right? That has nothing to do with my message whatsoever. I just felt like I needed to share my heart with you this morning. Uh, Matthew 24, 1 through 14, let's read together God's word and be blessed by it. Starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered him, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and you will be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's open our time in prayer. Father, thank you for Matthew 24. Thank you for Jesus' words. God, we look to your word as food that we need. Lord, we need to be satisfied in you. We need to be joyful in you. 
God, there are many Christians here that need a recharge after a very difficult week where they need to hear from your voice and feel your grace and sense your spirit speaking to them and empowering them to be strengthened for the week to come. God, there's some Christians that are right in the middle of sin and difficulty. And Lord, they just need to get right with you. Lord, there are some here who need to be grown in their knowledge of the end times so that they can live better now. And God, there are some here who are lost totally without Christ in darkness walking in pride, and Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes for the very first time so they can see the beauty of our Jesus and trust in him as their Savior. God, we ask that you do all these things by the miracle of your grace. We look forward to seeing you do those things. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever heard someone use the phrase, well, that's just the sign of the times. You guys ever heard that before? Yeah, yeah, we've heard that a lot probably in our lives. Most of us have heard that in the context of an older person speaking negatively or disparagingly of the new generation and what they're seeing and what they're disgusted with. So things like this, like, hey, you know, they use metal detectors in schools now. Yeah, never would have happened in my day. Back in our day, things were safe. You could go to school like a normal person. But I guess that's just the sign of the times that we live in, right? And so another example might be, hey, you know those little kids and those young people? They're always looking at their phones, touching their phones, hugging their phones, crying over their phones. Their their face is literally glued to their phones. Have you seen this, Roger? I've seen it, Bill. I I understand. Well, I guess it's just the sign of the times that we live in, right? Oftentimes that phrase is used to highlight something important in our culture that we see as as a value that is being changed, or we're transitioning culturally into some new thing, and we're not sure if we like the new thing or not, so therefore we finish the conversation with, guess I can't change it, guess it's just a sign of the times that we live in. And it's kind of destructive and depressing because it looks at the future like it's dark, no hope, everybody just cash in your chips now, because it's better to just get her done now than to endure what might be coming. Well, Jesus in Matthew 24 is going to use this phrase for us, and he's going to give us the signs of the times. But Jesus is going to do it in a way that both discourages us and encourages us. Only Jesus has that unique ability to warn us where we are like, okay, this is happening, but also encourage us with uh, the, the power of hope. So Jesus is going to give us the signs of the times, and you can look at this with me in verse 3. So the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So the disciples are asking, hey, what's the sign and what's it going to be like and feel like and look like? And Jesus gives a sermon to respond to the question. 
and it's called a discourse. And he gives this discourse from the Mount of Olives. And if you don't know where the Mount of Olives is, it's just to the east of the city of Jerusalem. It's across the way. It's right across from the temple. So Jesus would be giving this Olivet Discourse from the Mount of Olives, looking at the temple. And some theologians and commentators have said, you know, the the temple was probably gleaming in the sunlight. Big marble stones, these massive edifices of of the Temple Mount. And Jesus would be giving this Olivet Sermon to the disciples and they'd be looking across at the, at the city and the temple and it was just this glorious moment. And Jesus is finishing up his ministry. He's about ready to go to the cross. So this is like his last words or some of his last words about the end times and his return. And as we approach Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse, I want to give some warnings about this passage to you. Before we walk through it for the next four weeks, I want you to think about these things. Number one, as we go into this passage, understand this passage of Scripture is very controversial. In Jesus doesn't put the end times charts together in this passage. So I want you to work hard to stick to the text of Scripture as much as you can. Don't read this text with thinking, well, here's my system. I'm a pre-tribulational rapture, premillennial, so therefore I'm going to really like certain verses in Matthew 24, and I'm going to be like, Pastor Josh, preach it louder, preach it stronger. I'm really excited because it supports my system. But there's going to be other verses that you might say, oh, I don't know where I'm at with the millennium. I'm not sure if I'm a mid-tribulational or post-tribulational you know, position, but I don't know about all that, but I, I, that verse really, I just have a problem with that verse. Okay, everybody's at some point going to disagree at some point in these verses because Jesus doesn't lay down specific timelines with all of his verses in this chapter. So try your best to stick to the text as you listen to me. Secondly, read the passage as if you were a disciple of Jesus. Okay, I want you to read the passage as if you have sandals on and you're sitting with Jesus in that Mount of Olives area and you're listening to him talk about this. You followed him for three years. You don't have a seminary degree. You don't have your doctorate in biblical studies. You have just followed this man for three years and you're trying to pick up what you can before he's talking about his death. I want you to, as much as you can, put yourself in those shoes. And then finally, take the passage as it comes, simply and humbly. Try to be simple about it. Try to be humble with how you receive the passage. I think if you do that, you'll be greatly blessed by Matthew 24. All right, as the end of the age approach, Jesus lays down this Olivet Discourse, and he lays out major end times themes that will apply to every generation. Certainly, some of the things he says in Matthew 24 are going to apply right here, right now, for the disciples as they listen to him. There will be practical things for those men. Others in throughout Christian history have had 2,000 years of Christian history are going to pick up on different nuances of Jesus' text in Matthew 24 as the years go by. Now, for us today, we're modern readers. We have thousands of years of church history to look at. 
And we can view Matthew 24 with a little bit different lens, but it's, a, it's going to apply to us. And if Jesus doesn't return in this lifetime, if we die and we all go to the grave and Jesus hasn't returned yet, there will be generations of Christians after us who read Matthew 24 and they will be greatly blessed in different ways than what we are right now. So understand that there's a lot of themes going on and it applies to every generation. But here's the big idea. Okay, Jesus wants us in this passage, verses 1 through 14, to be aware of the signs of the times. He wants us to be aware of the signs of the times. And you can see this in verse 4. Jesus said, see to it that no one leads you astray. Okay? So the big idea is that Jesus wants us to be aware of the signs of the times. Don't get led astray. Now, in the Greek, that's really interesting. It's basically Jesus saying, don't get knocked off the path of life. All right? If you're following Jesus, you know from Matthew 7, it is the straight and narrow pathway that you are to travel. Now, that is not the easiest pathway in the world. Can I get an amen? Walking with Jesus is hard. It's easy to get off the pathway. It's easy to be like walking with Christ, doing really good, and then all of a sudden we get distracted by this, that, and the other thing, and all of a sudden we're like, where did the path go? What happened to the path? And in our modern day, we have these things called phones. You know what phones are in the Christian life often? Distractions that get us off the path, right? So often we're like, okay, I'm walking with Jesus, I'm walking with Jesus. And then we, we get on our phone and like, dude, look at Twitter. Whoa, whoa. You know, and then you're off the path, right? And you get back on the path, I'm walking with Jesus and like, oh my goodness, Instagram. Whoa, this is, you know, and you're off the path. You get back on the path and you're like, okay, NBC News. Well, here we go. Here we go, right? And then we're back on the path. Do you see what I'm saying? Like this happens to us all the time. And Jesus is like, look, I'm coming again. The end time is coming. Don't be led astray. Be focused. Walk down the straight and narrow pathway with me. The hardest thing in the Christian life for us today, especially in American first world Christianity, is to walk in an undistracted way with Jesus. You all have distractions. Thousands of them. And our day is one of laziness, sloth, and distracted sin. And so many times, Jesus is like, okay, Josh, just would you get back on the path? And so many times, it's you and me, where he's like, get back on the path and walk with me. And did you know that Satan is always trying to lead people off the path? All the time. That is the number one goal of the enemy of Christ followers. How do I get them off the path? How do I get them, you know, in a ditch over here and in this sin over there? And it is the number one scheme that Satan has. And in regards to end times, Satan's number one goal is to get you to believe that it doesn't exist. That it's not coming. That you just slowly go into a coma. You're like, oh yeah, end times, yada, yada, yada. Jesus returning, yada, yada, yada. I got mortgages to pay. I got a job to work. I got kids to raise. I got stuff to do. And the return of Christ becomes like a rumor that you heard about once. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, 
so that we might not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are to walk with awareness. And I think that's the heart of Jesus for us in in these 14 verses is be aware. Christian, be aware of the signs that are coming that point to my return and the end of the age. So we're going to look at five signs this morning regarding the return of Christ and the end of the age. Number one is the sign of accurate prophecies. Be aware of the accurate prophecies of Scripture. Be aware of the accurate prophecies of Jesus. So in verse 1 and 2, the disciples point out the buildings of the temple to Jesus, and he answered them in verse 2 and said, Do you see these big, massive edifices of the temple? There will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is predicting that the temple is going to fall. He's saying, you guys are impressed? Look at these big marble stones. Don't we get impressed with our buildings? Don't we love our buildings? We love our houses. We love our big buildings. Jesus says, you think that's impressive? It's all going to burn. Every single stone of this temple is going to burn. And his prophecy was him calling his shot, saying, I'm telling you guys the truth. And indeed, in AD 70, the Roman Empire came in and burned the temple to the ground. And I think we have a picture of it here, uh, at least a, a painting. You can see the Roman army up on the, um, on the cliffs here. You can see the, the, the city of Jerusalem beginning to burn and it was besieged for five months. You can see the Temple Mount over there on the left. You can see this amazing picture. This actually happened, people. This is history. And they burned the city to the ground. And Emperor Titus and Tiberius Julius Alexander besieged this city for five months. And they burned the thing down and Jesus' prophecy came true. Now, all that remains today of that scene is the Western Wall. There's one wall left of the ancient temple of Jerusalem. And many of you know, because you've already seen, that the Muslims took over that area and they built a massive mosque called the Dome of the Rock. And many of you already know what that looks like. But that mosque sits right on top of God's temple mount. It's amazing. The point of this is not to give you a history lesson. The point of this is to tell you that when Jesus says stuff, it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. When Jesus prophesies about future things, it's going to happen. And some of his prophecies have already happened. Some are happening now and some we're still waiting for the culmination of those things. But church, I just want to tell you when Jesus says something, please Please listen to his words. As a Christian, we live in a culture that says, forget the words of Jesus. They're suggestions. And I'm here to tell you as a Christian, look forward to the future and say, whatever Jesus says, I'm in with. Be aware of the accurate prophecies of Jesus. Jesus said it this way, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Sign number two 
is false messiahs. We need to be aware of false messiahs. Verses 3 through 5. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him. They asked him those questions. Jesus said, see to it that no one leads you astray. Verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you can go fast forward to verse 11. And Jesus repeats that reality that false teachers will rise up leading many people astray. Jesus said that before he, his, he comes back again, his second coming, there will be many people who come after him claiming the title of Christ, saying, I am the Christ. Okay, now, now what is that? What is Christ? Well, it's more than a swear word. Can I get an amen? All right, Jesus is more than just your swear word in your vocabulary. All right, Jesus is Jesus' name. Christ is a term that means Messiah or anointed one. All right? Many people have come since Jesus was dead and resurrected and they've claimed the title of Messiah. They've said, hey, I'm the anointed one. And you're like, really? Is that true? That's really happened in 2,000 years since Jesus resurrected? People have tried to take the title from him? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm just going to give you a few examples. We're going to look at singers and actors and businesses and TV personalities and celebrity pastors and sports people and war heroes and politicians. Since Christ resurrected from the dead, let's just talk about singers and actors for a moment. Singers have a way of moving us, don't they? We love a good song. We love our favorite group. We all have different preferences, but we, we all love our favorite group. I know that if I'm going to get in the good graces of Andy Biddle, I'm going to play 70s rock. Amen? That's just going to happen. And when it happens, Andy floats down the hallway at our offices and he says, man, greatest music ever invented right there. (laughs) And the dude's an encyclopedia. He knows every single word to every single song of every artist. And if I'm going to get in the good graces of my wife, I'm going to play late 90s country. Can I get an amen? I'm going to play that. Because my wife loves all of that. Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, all those individuals. Like, and she'll say, we'll say things like, I mean, this is the greatest music ever invented, right? And I'm not a huge country guy, but I'm like, yeah, whatever, honey, whatever. But we say things about singers like, that voice is anointed. I mean, that is an anointed voice. That is just something. And we do this with movie stars as well, because a good actor or a good actress moves us. Every time I watch their movie, Tom Cruise is coming out with the 80th, you know, Top Gun or something. And like, oh, he's just glorious in Mission Impossible. And I just can't wait for the, you know, we do these things with our actors and actresses and they just move us to tears because they're anointed. We do this with business people. Everything they touch turns to gold. Man, their business is amazing. Right? Chick-fil-A came straight out of heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen. There is something going on with Chick-fil-A. Every business move they make and everything they touch is like gold. It's like anointed. That, that restaurant is anointed. I'm not denying that on some levels, right? But then you have TV personalities and celebrity pastors and you've got Oprah, Dr. Phil, Joanna Gaines, Joel Osteen, all these people. And it's like, I swear, we look at some of these folks and we say they're the Messiah. They're the anointed ones. 
Like, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly, this is kind of joking, but this is kind of serious, that people look at Oprah and they literally say, I don't think she's said one thing wrong since 1981. And I'm just like, she says lots of wrong things, but people just listen to Oprah and they're like, oh, she's anointed. I just love her. Then you have sports messiahs, line them all up. I mean, line them all up and name them by name, right? Where we are just like, they're the best, they're the best, they're the greatest. They do amazing things with different sized balls. They're just incredible. There will never be another one like them. There'll be another, be an athlete like them. Yes, there will. Just wait a few years. There'll be another one. And they'll do it better and greater. And oh, we just, we venerate these, these athletes. And then war heroes, Mussolini, MacArthur, Napoleon, Caesar. I mean, you go down through the list. And if you were a German in the late 1930s, people actually on the record by the millions said that Adolf Hitler was Messiah. That really happened. And then our modern political movement is ridiculous. I mean, every politician, it is their job in the United States to get you to look at them and say, they're so smart, they're so glorious, they're so glamorous, they're so amazing, they're so wise. And, and we just tag people with this Messiah Christ label and it is sickening to God and it gets us off the path with Jesus. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying in the gifts that you see in people, you see little sparks of anointing. Oh, they're anointed. They're anointed. They're Christ. And the people don't necessarily deny it. And they make money hand and fist because we do all the stuff that they want us to do. And every single one of them is not Jesus. And Jesus called it. And he said, look, there's going to be a lot of false messiahs that rise up and lead many people astray. And I'm here to be your preacher and I'm here to say, Christian, be aware. Don't get off the path. Stay on path with Jesus. Beware of false messiahs. Psalm 108 verse 12. Oh, grant us help from our foe for vain is the salvation of man. Praise God. The third sign that Jesus talks to us about in this passage is war and natural disasters, verses 6 through 8. As we see Christ coming, we need to be aware of war and natural disasters. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this too must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Okay, let's start with war. There's always a threat of the reality of war in every generation. Consider World War I, 1914 to 1918. Okay? Consider this generation. I, I have been thinking about this off and on for a year. This generation that grew up in the early 1900s, I am betting every person in America thought, if they were Christian, Jesus is coming back. I mean, he is coming back now. They had that massive flu outbreak. There's wars. This war, World War I, there's natural disasters that we'll get to in a little bit. But this generation probably thought, Jesus is coming back ASAP, right? And we're here 100 years later saying, not quite. 
But World War I was famous because it's called the Great War. And, and many people use the phrase, this will be the war that ends all wars. Remember that? What's happened since 1918? Constant warfare. I mean, we're constantly at war. We're constantly in, engaged in some foreign conflict. Some war is brewing. Some conflict is brewing. People are dying all over the place. And here's the thing. Because Jesus said, it's going to happen until I come. This is going to be continually the testimony. Don't be alarmed. When you hear about another war brewing, don't be alarmed. Because there will always be humans arrogantly marching around the world with, with weapons, waging warfare, and, and pursuing this false dream of human supremacy on the earth. Someone's always going to be doing it. So Christian, don't let it get you off the path. Stay with Jesus, right? What about natural disasters? Well, I would encourage you to Google the largest earthquakes and volcano eruptions in recorded history. It's an incredible thing that will pop up on articles and videos that you can watch. But I'm just going to bring two examples to you that in the last couple hundred years of volcanoes that have really erupted that have been devastating. And there were like dozens and dozens to choose from. But here's two. In 1912, there was a volcanic eruption called Nova Rupta in Alaska. Okay, here's a picture of it. This is the, what remains of this volcano. This volcano in 1912 in Alaska spilled out 15 cubic kilometers of magma and that erupted for 60 straight hours. You might think, as a modern American, so what? Here, here's, what I, here, here's some context. If you remember Mount St. Helens in 1980, or if you've watched the video of Mount St. Helens in 1980, this volcano in Alaska is 30 times larger than the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Let me introduce you to another one. 1850, Mount Tambora erupted. Okay, I think we have another picture. Yeah, here's the remains of that volcano. This volcano was in Asia. It claimed the lives of 120,000 people, almost dead instantly. When this baby burst, all right, it was an eruption that caused tsunamis and a widespread famine in China that killed untold thousands of people. This is what Jesus says is coming before he returns. So when there's another volcano, when there's another earthquake, when there's another hurricane coming in to Louisiana, poor New Orleans, my goodness, we need to be praying for them. You as a Christian should not be alarmed. You should say, okay, this makes me aware. Christ, you're coming back. This is the birth pains of what's coming soon. And here's what I would say to you. As you see the modern media... Spin your mind into oblivion saying, this has never happened before. This has never happened before. This is the worst it's ever been. You can say, no, it's not. This is the warm-up of Jesus coming back. And when Jesus returns, there will be, just like the flood exploded all over the earth, there will be volcanoes and earthquakes that explode all over this earth. I think it'll be like this. 
And as we see each volcano and each earthquake and each hurricane, we need to say, God, make me aware. Don't let me get off the path. Don't let me get distracted by my iPhone or my Samsung. Let me stay on the path. Stay on the path. You're coming soon. There's somebody that I know that doesn't know Jesus. Help me stay here on the path. Be aware of wars and natural disasters. Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Same old story. Every news headline is the same old story and it should move every Christian towards prayer and begging anticipation of Jesus' second coming. The sign number four is increased suffering. The next sign that Jesus gives us of his second coming is increased suffering. Be aware of increased suffering. Verses 9 through 13. They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So on top of all the dramatic natural disasters and physical signs of Christ's coming, believers will experience all kinds of spiritual suffering And there will be an increasing amount of conflict in the lives of believers. So to be a Christian, it will be hazardous to your health. Can I get a witness? An amen? Right? You thought believing in Jesus is going to be easy. Butterflies, rainbows, lots of money in your bank account. Thanks, Lord, for the direct deposit. It don't work that way. To believe in Christ is to have a hazard to your health. Because you're standing for Christ in a world that is increasingly hostile. So if you're just reading through this, there's going to be words that stick out to you. Verses 9 through 13, the word tribulation, that should stick out to you. Tribulation, that doesn't sound fun. That means to be squeezed, to be pressed. Uh, Being hated, that should stick out. Being despised by another human being, that's not fun. Watching professing believers fall away from the faith and from church, that's hard to watch people walk away from Jesus. When you see the, the, the betrayal and the hatred, the love of people that once loved Christ and lifted up their hands during worship and praised God, now all of a sudden they're cold and they're hard and they don't want anything to do with Christianity. That's hard. How do you got to keep going when you see people who once professed Christ now living apparently hypocritical lives? That's what's going to happen. And more and more as Jesus' second coming approaches. So in the midst of that, I think the New Testament receivers, the apostles, they they experienced this. All you got to do is read the book of Acts. Read, Read Acts 1 through 28. And you'll see these guys who believe in Christ and these gals who believe in Christ laying down their lives and they are getting persecuted. They're getting chased from town to town. They're getting physically hurt. They are being thrown in prison. They're suffering all different kinds of trials. And you're like, ooh, that is interesting because is that going to be me? Every Christian wonders that. Here's the thing. If we see Jesus' second coming and the end of the world coming, we need to expect. Be aware. Stay on the path with Jesus. We will have increased persecution and suffering. Absolutely. I'm going to give you a number. 90,000. I'm going to put it up on the screen. 90,000. 
This number is the number of Christians that were martyred for their faith last year. In 2020, 90,000 Christians were put to death for their faith in Jesus. Let me break it down for you this way. That is one Christian being martyred every six minutes. While we sit here in America Disneyland, America, this is Christian Disneyland. People all over the world are dying for their faith at a rate that you would not even believe. Once every six minutes, a brother or a sister in Jesus, who we will spend eternity with, loses their life for their confession of faith. And we can expect, expect that number to rise. It is rising every year. And we can expect that increased suffering to happen, maybe even in Disneyland. And church, my, my job as your preacher is to get you ready for that. Are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? In this lifetime, we might see it. And I might change my verb, might, to will. But we must be aware. We can't be like, oh, what, what's happening? What is happening? I'm off the path. Get on the path. Be aware. You might suffer for this Jesus. And may we be a church that's willing to suffer for our Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sign number five is the spreading of the gospel. As we see the second coming of Christ coming our way, end of the age, we need to be aware of the spreading of the gospel. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The last sign in this first section of this passage is actually quite encouraging. Jesus is laying down all the persecution stuff, and we're like, oh, ouch. Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready. And then he says, oh, by the way, the gospel's going to spread. And it's going to spread in such an aggressive way that all the nations are going to hear about it as I approach the second coming. So the disciples, as they're listening to Jesus in the Mount of Olives, they're saying, yeah, okay. And, and what happens in Acts? They blitz all over the world sharing the gospel with every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And you see the gospel multiplying itself out into cultures in such a way that it's amazing. And God is working. In Acts 17 verse 6, this was the testimony about those disciples who heard the Olivet Discourse. These men have turned the whole world upside down and they've come here also. And I think that's the testimony we want as Christians we want living waters to be such a testimony that the, the culture around us says, man, this, this church is like changing neighborhoods. This church is changing people's lives and this is transforming. So the persecution is going to be big, right? But so is the harvest. The harvest of people coming to Christ is going to be big. And during the last days, as Christ comes back, we should expect people to come to faith in Jesus. For the last 2,000 years, the church has been evangelizing the nations. So William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Amy Carmichael, and millions of Christians who have gone to the uttermost parts of the earth to risk their lives and lay their lives down so that people could hear about Christ. That's what the church's heritage is. 2,000 years we've been doing this. And so it is today, Jesus, through the Gospels, conquering nations. And I want you to understand, we are a church that wants to be aggressively winning people to Christ. Can I get an amen? We want non-Christians to become Christians. We want to do whatever we can locally 
to make that happen. And by God's grace, we should be reaching out. Now, the internet is helping us. Amen? The internet is helping. And, and here's the good part of technology. The internet and the gospel are, are intertwining in such a way that people are getting to hear about Christ in restricted access countries right now who never had an opportunity or a sniff at hearing the gospel before. And that is a wonderful thing. But we can't rely on the internet to do all of our work. Aw, right? We got to go out and do it. We got to go share the gospel. We got to go be sent. Here's a couple um, different numbers I want to give you. 7,442%. This is from the Joshua Project, which is a great resource to use if you're a Christian. 7,400 people groups still remain unreached this very day. And you feel like, oh, that's not very many. 7,400 people groups represent 42% of the world's population. That's big. So this opportunity to share the gospel is not just for us in Iowa. We need to reach everybody in our neighborhoods, but we also need to be concerned about the 42% that haven't heard about Jesus yet and do whatever we can with our short lives to fund and encourage those missionaries to go and share Christ. So be aware, right? Don't get off the path and be like, oh, I don't, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. I don't have any responsibilities. You have a responsibility. Get on the path with Jesus and share Jesus with the nations. Be aware that the gospel is spreading. God is stirring. And we're on the winning side. Go and make disciples of all nations. And lo, I'm with you always, Jesus said, even to the end of the age. So as we close our time together, Jesus has made us aware that we need to stay on the path with him. Don't get distracted. Be aware of the signs of the times. Those signs are accurate prophecies, false messiahs, wars and natural disasters, increased suffering, and the spreading of the gospel. And we're going to put that up on the screen for you as we close. Brandon's going to come up here. We're going to sing some music. We're going to play some music. We're going to have some time to, to meditate. But guys, if you could put that list up there, that'd be great. Accurate prophecies, false messiahs. You got it, Trent. Oh, it's not there. Okay. Pretend that it was there. It disappeared from 8.30 and it's gone now at 10. So think about the, the points, the signs. What does it mean for you? If you're a Christian... Something had to stick out, right? Something. One of those points had to stick out to say, here's one of the signs. And the Holy Spirit's talking to you. I need to, I need to give attention to this in my life. Maybe some of you have been following false messiahs, false Christs, and you need to confess that and get it right. For others, maybe there's some other calls that God's doing. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Jesus is coming back. Are you ready for his coming? If you're not a Christian, that is a scary proposition. To not be ready for the day of Christ's return. You see all the signs, they're coming. I mean, all the signs are there. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, don't come out of this room without trusting in Jesus and repenting and, and coming to Christ for the first time. So, 
Let's respond. You're going to have two or three minutes just to respond to God in whatever way he's talking to you right there in your chair. And let me pray. We'll respond and then close our service. Father, thank you for your good word, Lord, this morning. Lord, the end times are just so compelling to us. Jesus, Matthew 24 is so compelling to us. There's so many signs that you're giving us that put us back on the path with you. Lord, if there's some Christians here that have just fallen off the path on the left or on the right, Lord, may they just come back to you right now, confess their sin and say, Lord, I'm ready for you to return and help me live every day aware of your return. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's just lost and not saved yet, and Lord, the, the thought of your return is scary. Because, Lord, they're not ready. So, Christ, I pray that you would even right now save people. Open your arms to people. Help them to see that they're they're not too bad of a sinner to be saved. Lord, cause them to repent and surrender their lives to Jesus, even now. God, do your good work. Help us to respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.